You're listening to the World Football Programme with all the latest updates from both local and international football. Uh, this is the World, World Football Programme. My name's Sean Kelly and I'll be with you for the next two hours. Thanks to Frank and Jerry for another wonderful Songs for, uh, songs for Ireland, is it? Now it's Celtic Ramblings. And boys, they can, they can ramble in Celtic them to all day. <laughs> um, in the studio with me this morning is the A-League stats man, Peter Skeeler. Good morning, Pete. Morning, how are you going? Good, mate. Um, and also, twiddling knobs and dials is Hugh Best. <laughs> yeah, I thought I'd give it another go. <laughs> yeah, no, look, you, you need to practice. No, you, you're doing all right, mate. Um, and on today's show, we will be starting off. It's cup final day, so we'll be starting off with Ori Colley. Um, Bayswater have two teams in the finals today, a great achievement for their youth development. And we'll be talking more to Ori about that during the show. Then we're going to follow up with Daniel Sharifi, who is with the Edmund Rice Centre up in Mirror Booker. They do a, an awful lot of good work with the migrant community and uh, we'll be talking to him about engaging those kids in clubs and, and things that we can do to help them do that. Um, then we're going to talk to Phil Kelly, who is the State League Chair, but we're going to talk to him about the unfolding situation in Queensland there with yes. Brisbane. Um, it feels quite good on the, the governance side of the game and we'll be talking to him about that and then we'll finish off with uh, Greg Farrell from Futsal WA. Um, and also he's going to talk about Futsal WA. But also he's going to preview the women's final, which is also today. So yep. there's a lot going on out there in the football world. Um, on the news side, I saw that Jason Davidson has signed for the Glory B side. I mean, victory. <laughs> um, so uh, it's shaping up a little bit like Glory 2017, but it's uh, a strange thing. Yes. 
Yes, and, and disappointing he didn't come back to Perth, obviously. But. Yeah, very disappointing. We weren't even in the conversation. So um, I did see another bit of fake news, and thank God it was <laughs> fake because the sight of, of Iconomedes in a victory shirt made me vomit. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't nice. Um, and talking of the glory, we've got an FFA Cup game coming up. We do. On August the 8th against the victory. Oh, so the date has been set because I hadn't been able to find a date The yet. date's been set, but the venue hasn't been set. Okay. I would, given that it's going to be an intra-club game, why don't we hold it at HBF? <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like oh, it. <laughs> look, it's, it's yeah, the so way that, it should that's be. the one because because uh, of the rejigging to the FFA Cup, the bottom four teams from the league last season have to sort of play off to get two. Uh, and, and there was never so. a tangible um, outcome for for being in the bottom of the league. Yeah. You just go, yeah, look, we'll just tank it and don't worry about it. That's right. Now, now, now the, there is. If you're tanking it, you're going to have to play for your spot in the FFA Cup, which I think is, is a fair and reasonable thing. Yeah, and it'll be Tony Popovich's two uh, hundredth uh, game coaching at. Uh, an Australian team, yes. Um, so, and it'll be against the glory, against so. glory led led by um, Castro. Uh, I believe so. Yeah, mm, that'd be good. Which is good. Yeah, uh, look, it'll be interesting to see what happens. And I don't know um, with the situation in Melbourne just how much training they've been able to do. Whether you know they're going to be pretty well disadvantaged coming into this. So, uh, it'd be so interesting let's hope to see so, yeah. what. The, yeah, oh, look, I'm. I, I I never really get teary eyed at the thought of the victory being disadvantaged <laughs> in anything. So <laughs> good to see. Um, I'll probably find that um, a couple of people I know won't talk to me anymore. But there you go. <laughs> um, Olympic starts very very soon. The Matildas yep. um, had their last warm up game. They went down one nil to a penalty against Japan. Yep. Um, a lot's been said about them not winning in the preseason tournament. I don't think that's a bad thing. Uh, preseason tournaments just to sort things out. It only matters what happens in the main tournament. Yeah, exactly. That's my sentiment. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you've got Sammy Kerr hasn't scored in open play for them. So look, there's a few things going on, but I think come the real deal. Um, Sammy will step up and so will the rest of the team. Uh, so the other team playing was the Ollie Rose and they had a 1-0 uh, win over yep. Danny Hayes, New Zealand. That's right. So they had a, they'd played two games and it was a 1-0 to uh, uh, the Australians in the last game and then yeah. 2-0 to New Zealand in the one before. But again, early days. Pre-season, yep. yeah, exactly. That's right. But uh, the Olympics... The, the first game is in, what, four days next or on Wednesday it's for the Matildas? And I think it's on Channel 7 Yeah, well. it is, against New Zealand. And, um, yeah, lots of things going on around the place. If you have a look on our uh, Facebook page, there's um, lots of venues there where you can go and watch it with like-minded people, which is always a good thing. That's right. And, and being on Channel 7, they'll probably interrupt for ads for the AFL in the <laughs> middle of the... Just, yeah. just as we're lining up a penalty kick or something. Yeah. You guys yeah. keep looking at me. I thought I was going to be the silent partner today. <laughs> no, no. You, you may think you're going to be silent, but you, no way you're getting off that easy. All right. We're going to go to um, an ad break if Hugh's already got his, his stuff together and we'll, yeah. we'll come back after that with Ori Collie from Bayswater and we'll talk about the, the finals today. All right. Oh, give me land, lots of land under starry skies above. Don't fence me in. Oswest Fencing and Royal Tryon. Are you looking to build or replace your gates or fencing? The Oswest team can offer four generations of advice, materials, and kit assemblies for your unique fence and gate project. We specialize in color bond, aluminium, steel, and timber gates. Check out our galleries at oswestfencing.com.au. 
That's A-U-S-W-E-S-T-Fencing.com.au West Coast Futsal accommodates for players of all skill levels and ages. With four great locations around Perth, we have a time and a venue to suit anyone's busy week. From social men's, women's or mixed games to A-grade competition, we've got you covered. Games are played night and day, indoor and outdoor, all year round. So grab five mates and come down for a game today. 107.9 FM, your local station. Yeah, and we're back in the room. Um, a lot going on locally today. You can hear some stuff there in the background with the cup finals going on, but we, if you want to go through the whole draw, Pete? Yeah, so uh, with the cup finals today, uh, in the under-18s, it's... Uh, Bayswater against Subiaco. Bayswater got into the final by beating Perth 2-1 in the semis and Sorrento, uh, sorry, Sorrento went down Subiac to Subiaco 5-6 in a penalty shootout. Uh, in the under-20s, uh, it's Bayswater again against uh, Sorrento again. Uh, Bayswater had a 5-0 win over uh, Mandra in the semifinals and Sorrento got through with a 7-6 penalty shootout win over Swan United. And then in the, the big one, uh, it's Floriot Athena against ECU Joondalup. Floriot had a 3-0 win over Coburn, United, uh, Coburn City. Showing my age mm. there. <laughs> and uh, ECU Joondalup had a 1-0 over Sorrento there. And we've also the got the ladies playing as well. We do have the ladies. I don't have the ladies. Uh, well, you better get your act together. We'll be there it, shortly. I find it yet. But joining us on the, uh, on the show this morning is a very proud man in Ori Collie. But two teams in the finals today. Ori, good morning. How are you? Yeah, good morning, guys. So, yeah, very proud. Very proud day. Absolutely. I can hear it there in the background. So we're a proper football radio station for a change. Um, <laughs> that's really good to hear the noise in the background. Obviously, the 18s game is underway. Yeah, listen, I had to step away, actually. I'm almost on the other side of the pitch because it was quite loud. There's a few people down yeah. supporting both teams, which is good. Absolutely. So we're about uh, 12, 15 minutes in and it's still nil-nil at the moment. Yeah. yeah. Now, you, you invested a lot in your youth development program, um, and it really is starting to show. You've your 18s are fourth in the league, and and the 21s are on the top of the league, respectively. Um, just just how much work do you as a club put into those two age groups? Oh, listen. I think it starts uh, all the way back. I mean, we decided back uh, in 2017 to invest in our in our young kids. Um, and I suppose this year is, is has culminated in a very successful year thus far. Our, our 13s, 14s and 15s and 16s MPL are all in the top division, uh, which we're the only club out of 22 to do that. So that's another really good achievement and kudos to all our coaches. Um, and obviously that flows on to the 18s and 20s. And hopefully that'll then manifest itself where we get some of these young kids coming through into the first team. But I think we've let in seven or eight young kids and given them their debuts in first team this year. So... 
we're obviously looking promising. And, and also, you've you've had some young kids of your own um, leave your program and go into the glory, which in itself is is fantastic. And um, there's there's a lad there with a similar surname to yours who's captaining their team. So you must be very proud of, of that <laughs> of that team and and him. Yeah, listen, uh, you know, our, our job as as a club is to hopefully. Um, improve kids and if they go on to bigger and better things fantastic if they end up playing for our first team we're equally as proud um, and yeah listen my, you know, my son's there at, at glory at the moment and, uh He's still working through through the gears, but uh, doing well at the moment. Absolutely, and I think you know, at the preseason he went over and, and played in the Asian Cup games. So, you know, for yeah. for someone to go through the, and we always talk about player pathways, and I think you know, um, as much as Bayswater uh, a giant in the NPL, um, there needs to be that progression in. If you want to be a professional footballer, oh, yeah. you're going to have to then make the next step. Correct. Yeah. Listen, that's. That's part of our job, and uh, we do want pathways for kids. I think um, there's something that uh, WA and Australian football we're not struggling with that we need to f- define a clearer path on how kids can can improve. This this A League season has probably been a breakout year, given COVID and financial restrictions and travel, and being able to get foreign players in. I think it's probably no better time for young kids to get an opportunity at the moment. Oh no, definitely. Mm. Um, so you said back in 2017, you you. you you um, decided to make that a focus. Um, what sort of personnel did you bring in to, to run the junior side and, and your development stream? I think, I think like we, we number one, the, the biggest investment you've got to make is is in your coaches. Uh, the culture of the club was good, so that wasn't something that we needed to fix, but we needed to probably get, bring in better coaches. Uh, along with Ian Morris, our TD, has done a great job over the last four or five years uh, in, in really getting a, a steady crew of coaches, very experienced, knowledgeable and uh, good people, uh, to be honest. And that, that helps with retaining players and, and creating a happy environment. Yeah, absolutely. And then you've in your first team, you, you've got a coach and some players who know what it is to have, have been through that pathway and, and to have played not only for um, a professional club, but also for the, for the nation. So that's, um, again, valuable experience that can be shared with these kids as to the sort of work rate and what's expected of you when you when you get up into that high level. Yeah, listen, we're very proud. Obviously, our senior coaches, uh, Willie Hurd and Paul Lincoln and the 18s, uh, they've played a very, very good level, obviously, um, in their own right. And Alan Vernals and Ian Morris in the 20s, once again, played a very good level. And then, of course, our, our senior coaching staff, Gareth Navin, for everyone knows the name, captain of Perth Glory, you know, and he set by examples when he played and set standards. So... Listen, we've we got a good crew there. We know we know what we need to do. Yeah. Um, it's just a process, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And um, the, the NPL, I know the NPL came in with much fanfare um, and it, to a degree it's, it's, it's had some success. But what's your, your feeling on it now? Is it, is it a tired format? Do we need to, to rejig it? Um, um, well, I think NPL is a, is a brand. Yeah. Um, without, without a lot of, well, I think the, the intentions when it started was very, very good. Uh, I mean, the junior ranks, I think, is probably where it's been affected the most, if, if I'm being completely honest, where we probably got the dilution of actually talent pool. We've got too many clubs, too many teams, too many players in the top level, and hence you see a big disparity in, in a lot of the results. And yeah. hence I'm not sure whether we are actually playing like for like, regardless of the level you're playing at, week in, week out. And I think we need to get... If we're trying to produce players and... Uh, uh, and get players to be playing for Australia and playing overseas, so on and so forth. We need to give them competitive games, you know, 20, 30, 40 competitive games yeah. a year instead I'm, of maybe 
four or five or six or seven. Do you know what I mean? Yep. And and absolutely, the the other thing is you've got some clubs that have, have got compliance squads, so they're just getting 11 kids, throwing them in into an NPL side, and then they're getting trounced uh, by a, a good side. That doesn't do either team any good. Um, no. The, no. The old... No, but- yeah, go well, I was going to say the old system um, where, you know, the under-10s were graded into um, local league sides and then, you know, the tops of those went into a Metro 11s and then by the time you're, you're at 13 or 14, the, um, the Metro Premier side was teams that had got there by the old-fashioned way of merit so that the, yeah. those, all those teams that used to play under the JSA in the Metro Prems had all earned the right, were all of a sufficient quality and I think that's the bit that the NPLs missed out on. I don't disagree. I think, uh, you know, I came through that system as a junior coach. Kids in that system and it was, a nat- it was natural selection. Ultimately, you, you know, your teams went through, the, through every year and obviously you're either in the top division or, or you dropped down. And likewise, you also had the option if your team wasn't doing so well or was doing very well to, to be promoted up or promoted down mid-season by choice without ramifications to the club. So yeah. I think certainly that was a fairer and a more consistent uh, system. Yeah. Uh, when the MPL came in, obviously tried to have uh, TDs and, and uh, certified coaches. So that obviously put a lot of constraints and, on, on clubs in order to do things. And, and, the, and I suppose the byproduct was to have all the teams in top division. Um, so I feel for some of the teams, and you know, listen, we were there a while back in 2017. We, we were there where you know you're struggling to get players on the park, and the uh, teams weren't performing as well. And there's a lot of pressure on on clubs and volunteers um, to stay in that league. Otherwise, you, you potentially get kicked out, and that has big uh, ramifications for your club if that happens. So, oh yeah, look the old at... system. You, the old system. If you, if your team is getting trounced in that division, you just drop down that year. Yeah, yeah. And and the decoupling of the juniors from the NPL seniors, I think, has been probably a, a bit better because you'd hate to have pressure on you know an, an under twelves or thirteen side to to win a league so that your your first team stayed in in the NPL uh, Premier League. You know, it'd be hundred percent. Yeah. Um, so I think that was a, a good move. But I think Rob Sherman is now in town and he's looking at the the local scene and and how we can rejig what's going on because I think the in some ways, it's not working. Um, in, other, in other ways, it is. But the old system we had was good enough to produce Stan Lazaridis, the Naven brothers, uh, and countless others. So, you know, the, you can rattle off name after name after name. Now, with the new system, I don't know if we're seeing them coming through. Yeah, well, I'd say, number one, that's certainly something that needs, we need to look at the NPL. Its current format certainly um, isn't producing the, the level for, for everyone. You need to be playing games that you want kids to keep on playing and not get discouraged. Uh, and then you want to have competitive games to, to try and, and forward players on and to improve. Um, but to be honest, I think you know if we're talking about development of players, we also need to start to, you know, it starts at a very young age to get better coaches, you know, educate the coaches at sixes and sevens and eights and nines. They, the formative years are really, really important. I think uh, we probably, you know, we can't miss that. No, that's probably and, the difficult thing at the moment. And I think the other thing is with those younger age groups, um, it's a to build up the basic skills, but just as important is to to in, build in the love of the game as well. And I, I see some teams at eights and nines are, are having an elite stream and a, 
a community stream and also see that in those eights, nines and tens now there's a, there's a lot of emphasis on winning the game rather than uh, acquiring the skills. So, you know, yeah, well, it's, it's a balancing act. Look, the kids all know whether they're winning or losing. Yeah. Um, having a league or not having a, a league table helps in that. But, you know, I think the, the acquisition of the skills and the acquisition of the love of the game um, is that is the most important focus rather than the results. Oh, without a doubt, I think uh, it's imperative that uh, this ball mastering and, and the actual fundamentals of the game are pretty key till you know, 10, 11, 12. Um, and then you can start to work on you know, oh, the tac- more advanced things as, as you go forward, tactical things. But yeah. I think the emphasis on winning, uh, I think you always should, there's a, there's, you've got to be mindful of younger ages is probably not important at all. Um, no. As they get older, there, there is an importance on it. It's not the most important thing. The most important thing is, is to go through your process and improve as an individual, as a team and as a club. Yeah. And then, you know, listen, fundamentally, I think if, if you're doing more things right than wrong, you probably win more games than you lose. So yeah. um, that's a byproduct of doing things properly. Um, yeah. But even, so, even, even at 80s and 20s, whilst you want to win games, that's not the focus. The focus is develop players to go into the first team and go beyond. And the other thing is is resilience. Um, I've seen quite a few lads that have come through the the MPL system who've then moved into um, maybe a state league setup who then struggle um, with the physicality. They struggle with uh, not winning every week. Um, and I think you know if we breed up kids on on a diet of success. Um, not having lost is, is something that they, they then struggle to cope with and, and they need to learn how to lose and they also need to learn how to win. And I think that learning to win is is driven by, by not liking losing. <laughs> oh, listen, I think um, for, for me, I think you need to, to respect that there's winning and losing. Yeah. Um, and there's all, you know, listen, when you lose, you, you go away and you think about what you can do to improve. Um, it was going to be a good sport about it. Nobody likes losing, so... Um, but again, I think it's about the development. I so said when you get to the t- you know, first first team, that's when it really counts and the results yeah. matters. And, you know, it's probably not as, as important how you get there; it's it's, it's getting the results. So, and uh, by the way, we just gone up one 0 Oh, well done. Well, done. well done! I thought that might have been a goal. <laughs> <laughs> and um, from a club perspective, and I know, look, uh, the A League um, have struggled with this, and I think it's, it's something that's very important in our game. Um, the lack of a transfer system. If you're in a system where you're developing kids through, and I know you've developed um, youth to a point where someone from the East comes up and grabs them and takes them away, um, which is part of their pathway, but it would be nice to see that there was some sort of recompense for a club that had a good development system. Yeah, well, I think that, that you know, unlike in Europe where uh, fundamentally, you know, you bring kids into scholarships and, and, and it's all paid for, um, at this, this level here, unfortunately, you know, clubs are largely run by volunteers. It's really a non-for-profit. Uh, clubs, you know, bear the cost ultimately. You've got fees and those type of things. So a transfer system uh, or a youth development uh, fee would certainly assist in, in uh, trying to keep costs low yeah. and improving your product and uh, reinvesting. And that's really what we're, what everyone, every club would like to do. Yeah. Um, you just said the number to, to reinvest back in your youth and, and your programs and, 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 and your staff. But but even at a lower level, you know, you've got young kids that are in your um, under twenties there that are, are doing very well. Um, not all, all of them are going to play for your first team. Um, 
it would be nice, even if it was only, you know, a few thousand dollars, to see something come back into that, into your development stream so that you are funding it. And, and if you've got three, four, five go, you know, and just for a random figure at four grand a piece, you know, it's $20,000 into your system, yeah. which, you know, and we professionalise clubs and make them businesses rather than, as you said, um, uh, amateur organisations completely dependent on volunteers. And I think, you know, well, it's, it's, I think it's, it's always going to be difficult to produce a top end product. Yeah. Uh, when fundamentally the, the business model doesn't work. No. Um, we know largely in our club, and I can't speak on behalf of most, but everyone everyone really pushes hard to get sponsors and, and uh, to try and fund the top end. Yep. And we do that reasonably well. And uh, so we try to keep our, our fees as low as we possibly can in comparison to, to most. Um, so, yeah, listen, I, uh, that would help and alleviate and try to produce a better product. Um, as I said, yeah, you know, a lot of volunteers at all clubs, at all levels, do you know, really, really, they work really, really hard. And, and to be fair, need to be appreciated because without them there wouldn't be clubs. No, I totally agree with you and I think, you know, we, we tend to shy away from the professionalisation of it and it is very much driven by the money coming from the grass up. It would just be nice to see, as they have in Europe, the a, a, a funding model that was driven by 100%. the development. Yeah. All right, yeah, Ari. So if, we, if, we, if we could do that, it'd be great. But uh, yeah, yeah, no, brilliant. Look, thank you very much for your time this morning. Um, as it's exciting for you, I'll let you get back to your 18s. <laughs> Best of luck to them and to your 21s today. Um, I've seen your 21s in action. They are, they were very very good, uh, and thank I've you. got no doubt that they will um, overcome today. So, best of luck. Thanks, gents. Have a great day. You too, mate. See ya. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Ori Cully, Bayswater, um, doing fine there. I watched them. Um, uh, I think the football page got it wrong. They said they played Balcatra. They didn't. They played Ashfield. Um, okay. Went to penalties and two sides really went at it that day. Some really good quality football being played. Nice. Mm. Nice. All right. You know, you're just letting us down I'm looking bad. At the desk what have I done wrong now? <laughs> <laughs> No, you're doing okay. Um, hopefully, you've got your list now for the ladies' final, which is at three o'clock. Oh, it is. It yeah. is. I did have it, and now I don't know what I've done with it. Uh, there we go. So, it is um, Mum, Mum FC yeah. uh, against Balcata FC. Mum got into the final with a 5-2 win over Northern Redbacks, and Balcata had a 2-0 over Fremantle City. Yeah, so that's so also that's, on. So, big, big cup final day today. That be a cracking final. Yeah. Yeah. Two good sides yeah. really going for it. So, um, look, anyone who's... At a loss today, what to do? Get yourself down to um, Inglewood and uh, watch those games because they're they're just brilliant. The eighteens, twenties, ladies, and senior finals all on today down there. Yep. Alrighty, um, we'll go to a, an ad break and we'll be back after that with Daniel Sharifi from the Edmund Rice Centre. You're listening to Radio Fremantle one hundred seven point nine. Give me land, lots of land under starry skies above. Don't fence me in. Oswest Fencing and Royal Tryon. Are you looking to build or replace your gates or fencing? The Oswest team can offer four generations of advice, materials, and kit assemblies for your unique fence and gate project. We specialize in color bond, aluminium, steel, and timber gates. Check out our galleries at oswestfencing.com.au. That's A-U-S-W-E-S-T fencing.com.au. Don't fence me in. 
West Coast Futsal accommodates for players of all skill levels and ages. With four great locations around Perth, we have a time and a venue to suit anyone's busy week. From social men's, women's or mixed games to A-grade competition, we've got you covered. Games are played night and day, indoor and outdoor, all year round. So grab five mates and come down for a game today. The top station on your radio dial, Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM. Okay, so that was a bit of fun there. I mean, Hughes tried to struggle with all the dials and people are ringing in, so that's even that's right. better. And so um, we, we did say we'd mentioned the, um, the, the, Euros, the championships yeah. beforehand, so congratulations in the in the South American championships. So is, yep, that, yep. is that what we were meant to mention? Uh, no, 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 Messi. No, the Euros. So Messi oh, the Euros as well. Yeah, well, saying, Messi won I, his... I we did say last week about Messi winning his first major title and he's I, done that. I did that. say that, yeah. But right. in the Euros, the Italians were very successful in beating England on penalties. Yes. Um, there's a... There's a petition around it for those disgruntled poms around who, <laughs> who want it's like 120,000 signatures wanting to replay the match. Get over it, it's done. Yeah, well, they'd lose it again, won't they? Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> another couple of tactical fouls, another couple of oversights. You know, just because you stud right up into someone's wedding tackle, it yeah. doesn't mean you should get sent off. Well, again, that, that um, uh, if you'd seen the uh, Argentina-Brazil game. Uh, Neymar had his uh, short trip for, for what, exactly one yes, of those yes, uh, yes. challenges, which yeah. which didn't even get a look out by the referee. It was brilliant. I've seen and and I thought the more, the more brilliant thing about that was Neymar's not still rolling around in agony from it. Yeah, he is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he is. He's still in tears. <laughs> but, yeah, with the Euros, that was a t- terrific tournament. Um, as I say, we just had a, a gentleman call up who's uh, on his way down south. I have uh, didn't write his name down, so apologies <laughs> for that. But, yeah, he was... Um, I'm guessing maybe an Italian fan because he wanted to know why it had all gone quiet. But we did a full preview, yeah. uh, Sean and myself, yeah, last weekend. We did. And yeah. if you want to restream that, yeah. which, which I did to make sure oh, look, I didn't mess it up too badly. It's, it's not so, gone quiet. We just accept that Italy won it. And yes, we, there, there were some couple of the dark arts, as you expect, from an Italian <laughs> side. I think I think England were tactically inept. Yep. Once, once this big centre-half had got the yellow card on him, no one ran at him. No, that's right. You no, know? And I had a... a a few uh, English supporters talk about that particular challenge with yeah. uh, uh, Bonucci, I think it was. Yeah, but the just, thing is, horse collar. Let, let's look I at went, the... but there was a free kick and a yellow card. Yeah, you know what? Was he meant to be arrested? I mean, he was let's... close to the police at that stage. <laughs> <laughs> let's look at let's look at the tactics, though. All right, <clears throat> England's tactics for the very next game will be seventieth minute. Yeah, Rice off, Henderson on. Exactly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, the thing is, it was also a, a, an exact, almost an exact repeat of the semi final against yeah. Croatia. They score in the first five minutes. And then and don't then, don't go on. Yeah, they sort yeah. of go, oh, yep, we've got this sewn up. So um, yeah, let's let's yeah. sharp shot park the bus. No, it doesn't work. Yeah, Attack, yeah. keep attacking, yeah. just keep playing. Yeah, look, worthy winners. And I think you know the England side, very good um, young players playing for them. So hopefully they they will overcome in the future. Anyway, we digress. We're back to our guest list, and joining us online now is Daniel Sharifi, who is the youth coordinator at the Edmund Rice Centre in Mirabuka. Good morning, Daniel. How are you? Good morning. I'm very well. How are you doing? Good, mate. Um, do you want to just tell us a little bit about the Edmund Rice Centre and your your role within it? 
Uh, so the Edmund Rice Centre was founded in 1998 to meet the growing needs of the refugees that were settling around the Mirabuka area at the time. Um, so we provided essential services such as um, you know, driver education programs, English classes, and computer education classes as well to help um, the adult migrants at the time you know, find their feet in the, in the new country that they were settling in. Uh, but since about 2005, we've started to deliver other services as well for young people. Um, and we have started delivering sports, leadership and arts programs ever since um, 2005. Um, we started with about two programs um, around that time and uh, we have now extended to uh, delivering about 30 programs in the Perth metro area now. Um, the majority of them are sports programs, so I would say about give or take about 20 of them would be sports and then the remaining 10 would be a combination of leadership and arts types programs that we run. Absolutely people. brilliant. Um, look, for, for migrants coming in, um, the stuff that you're talking about is, is essential, um, but also that connection with, with a sport and then with with clubs. You know, my experience as a migrant coming in with no no su- family support whatsoever coming into the country um, was that, you know, getting connected to a club gave me connect- connection to the community, gave me connection to a social life, jobs and, and friendships that I still retain now. So um, how important is it for you and the, the people that you have in your care to, to engage with a club? Um, absolutely. What, exactly what you just said just, just then, um, I guess. Uh, sport has this uh, amazing power to bring everybody together. Um, so through through our programs at the moment, we, we have about 85 or 80, between 85 to about 90 different cultural backgrounds participating um, in, in, in the 20 sport programs that we deliver. So it's phenomenal how, you know, sport has that power to just bring everyone together regardless of where you are from. And, you know, the friendships that you build along the way with those people, uh, which I guess all, all in all helps bring, break barriers between communities. Um, I guess breaks barriers also between the communities and law enforcement because I guess where I come from um, and where a majority of our participants come from, uh, you know, you don't have that bond or trust with police because um, um, obviously, you know, uh, police brutality is a, is, a, is a major thing in some countries. And, you know, coming over here, you don't really start to feel that connection with the police just because of your experiences in the past. So our programs aim to bring people together using um, sport and, and a majority of, of them do actually bring people together through the world, um, you know, the uh, uh, sport of football, uh, which, you know, we run through our Commonwealth programs and a few of our local parks programs. So they have amazing powers to bring everybody together. Absolutely, it does. Um, I was at, a, at the Serbian club where um, Maddington White Eagles play from recently and they, they had a, a small group of Colombians who have made their home there and it was really nice to hear the, the, the Colombian samba beat in the background. Um, a couple of the Colombian boys are playing for them and nice to see that the people are engaging. So that the community support is you know very diverse in Australia and I think that's one of the things we need to get. Um, I know with my own club, we, we've had a large amount of migrant um, families coming through and particularly with refugee families, um, you know, you start to get a feel for the trauma that they've been through. Um, very difficult, you know, to... When, when we look at what we, we have a, a game that's really important to us and, uh, you know, we, we, we go on about how important the game is and then you've got migrants or, or refugees who've seen family family members butchered, have suffered at the hands of, of the authorities and, you know, 
coming to Australia is is a breath of fresh air, but also they they are traumatised by their interactions with authority, um, and and that's not just the police; that's government, army, everybody, um, and and even local politicians. So, you know, building some of that trust back in is part of it. Uh, and also with a migrant community and particularly refugees, a lot of them are starting from nothing. So money is at a premium. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, exactly what you just said there. Um, a lot of the families that participate in our, in our, in our programs, um, hardly any of them are, are able to afford, um, you know, if, if there are some, you know, they, they, it'd be very, very small. So having uh, programs like this where young people can go to and they can go to regularly because... Our programs run from, you know, from the first week of February to almost uh, you know, um, the first week of December, um, and, and non-stop all the way through school holidays. So giving some, giving young people a sustainable program to go to, and more importantly, a program that they don't, they don't, that they don't have to pay anything to participate in, other than just bringing, you know, themselves and bringing a positive attitude. Um, that that's all that it takes for people to do that. And once we've gauged uh, an interest in there, then we use our partnerships with the local clubs that we've got to try and help those young people get into club sports and everything to help them uh, obviously achieve their full potential um, you know through that yeah. system but it is very very um, very common that a lot of people in there wouldn't be able to pay the club fees to be able to get there which presents as, a, as one of the biggest barriers for so, participation in so what program. sort of things can can you know the the club land out there do for you obviously there you know i know that there's um clubs out there that have sent equipment and boots and shirts and all sorts of things um to africa and other countries but um I, i'm a great believer in charity starts at home um what sort of things do you need um and what sort of support would you you'd like from clubs um, I think the biggest support that we can receive from clubs, you know, other than uh, what you just said about equipment, is, you know, our potential scouts to come up to, to the programs. And, and I guess if that can be done on a regular basis, then then it would be really helpful because of the amount of talent that they will be able to identify through this program. And yeah. if, those, those, if that talent is identified, you know, quickly enough, then, you know, there's no ceiling as to how much that young per- person can achieve with the right level of support. So um, I'll say if there are any clubs that are looking for, for potential talent and you know, would be willing to work with, with, with the families that might not necessarily be able to pay you know, club fees to be able to get into those clubs, that would be the biggest amount of support that they could potentially provide us. Absolutely. And um, what age groups do you, do you start with or what sort of um, groupings do you have? Yeah, so our programs vary quite a lot. And, uh, you know, like our local parks programs, which are generally grassroots introductory type programs, um, they start with a, with an age group of about five. Um, and, and there's generally no upper age group. Obviously, we, we run youth programs, so it would be around the 24, 25 is where, where, where that higher end is. Uh, but our more specialised programs, like the Common Goal program, which is a partnership between us, the WA Police, Football West, the local governments and the local mosques, we um, we start that program at about eight uh, eight years of age, and you know again they've got participants can be as as as, as old as twenty four, twenty five. So mm. that would be around that we're looking at. No, absolutely. Look, it, it's certainly an avenue that people didn't or weren't aware of. Now you're based in Mirabuka, but how far is your reach? Are there um, 
you know, kids in other areas, are there, there migrant or um, refugee communities in, in other areas where maybe a club could, could host one of your um, local parks, multi-sport programs and, um, you know, with your encouragement and, and their ability to, to give you the grass to play on, um, is there a possibility for partnerships away from Mirror Booker? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, that's the beauty of the Edmund Rice programs is that, that I mean, obviously our, our office is based in Mirabuka, but that doesn't mean that our programs are all based around here. In fact, you know, obviously we're based in the city of Stirling, but the most amount of programs that we run is in the uh, city of Wanneroo. So I think we've got about nine or ten programs running in that, in that area. Um, and, you know, it goes all the way up to Butler and we have been all the way up to Yanchip before. Um, and currently, our program on the other side, in the south, south side of the river, we, we run all the way in Southern River as well. So we almost cover pretty much the entire Perth metro area, which allows an opportunity for us to partner up with a club in any, anywhere, really, from, from Butler area in the city of Wanneroot all the way to Southern River. It sounds so simple because we've, we've got clubs going all the way from, you know, the, the Peel Mandurah area right the way up to Butler and Yanchep and all the way out to the, the hills. Um, so, you know, I think it, it's, I, I don't know why we haven't even come up with this before, but, you know, to have some sort of um, outreach and reach program between the two would be, be wonderful. Um, and I suppose then if we, if we have um, migrant families that are based in Swan or Mandra or whatever, um, what sort of supports would, would the, the club be able to draw on? Because obviously there, there'd be some mental health issues with um, some of the guys because you know, they've been, they have been through some horrendous things. You know, living in a camp is not an easy thing. Oh yeah, you're absolutely spot on in there. Um, obviously, um, with with any with any program that that involves young people who come from a difficult background, there are you know inevitably there's going to be issues in there that, that you need to face. So I mean, if if there are clubs that are able to provide you know perhaps that kind of support like mental health coaching or just coaching in general, mm. um, if, if 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 a club has um, has a coach that comes down to our program and assists, um, we would be over the moon you know, yeah. with, that, with that body it would be really really helpful for us well look I think we've got coaches and, and players that can come down and help with coaching as well I remember last year I, I had a young man who was playing in our um, first team reserves basically um, who was talking to his his the people around the table one supper and some of the, the stories he was talking about from his days as a refugee living in a camp um, where he was completely on his own, um, just made your hair curl. You know, it was really uh, Lord of the Flies, survival of the fittest stuff, and, and but for real, you know. And and this guy was just so happy to be here playing football and and loving life. And you know, that's the 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 reward you get when you're running a club and you bring someone in who's been through that. And and he's a terrific young man. Oh yeah, uh, I mean, uh, absolutely. It's- it, it's horrendous what goes on in in people's lives. I guess when 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 you're being you know traumatized, tortured in your in your country of birth, mm. and then when you come to a beautiful country like this one over here, where the opportunities are so vast, you know, um, then then you get that opportunity to actually start connecting with your passions. And you know, if football is a passion for someone, you know, they've they've started playing that at their in their in their home country, yeah. and they come to Australia, and then there are so many opportunities over here for you to be able to actually you know, go to 
to be able to reach your full potential in that. Absolutely. And, and as we've said, and I said this to you previously, um, even if you can't speak the language, the international language is football. Yeah. Um, you get 11 people who all speak 11 different languages, put them in a team, they, they can knock a ball around between each other. And that's that's the start of, of getting um, a team together and, and building. Look, I really appreciate your time this morning. Um, we'll touch base with you again to see what's going on and whether we can get anything happening. Um, but I really appreciate the work that you do. With, with the migrant community and we haven't even touched on the indigenous community so um there's lots to talk about with you daniel thank you very much for your time this morning no problem thank you very much thank you thank you so that was daniel sharifi from the edmund rice center out there in mirabuka um we'll get some details up on our it's web page already yeah, it's already up on the facebook so page um, get in contact with them and don't look at it from a perspective of what is in it for me. Also look at it what is for them. Um, I imagine they could do with some support. Send a coach or a player who wants to learn how to coach and develop his skills to them. Um, see what else they need. Obviously, migrant families could do with boots and kits and whatever you've got sitting around in the storeroom for the last five years has not been used. They will use it to a, a good effect. So um, please get in contact with them. Yeah, sorry about that. So do I press those buttons first or hang up first? No, you press the buttons, hang up, doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay, because it yeah. goes through my headphones. That's right, we'll, oh, we'll coach you off air. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we, we do have the, the rookie program running in the background there. He's doing very well. Um, so we're going to go to an ad break. We'll be back after that with Correct. Phil Kelly. We'll talk about the unfolding situation in Queensland and Brisbane, which I think, you know, has been very high on people's priority in the internet. Yes. And uh, just to get a perspective on it. Thank right. you. Gate and Fence Hardware WA is your hardware shop online. Find all the parts you need to fix, make and secure your gates and fences. Friendly staff and family offer advice to help your project along or order in your special part. Gate and Fence Hardware WA. Station sponsor. G'day. I'm Peter Skeeler, the man behind A-LeagueStats.com and part of the world football team for 2021. Joining me this year will be women's football expert Penny Tannehoe, Ashfield Sports Club member Sean Kelly, Subutio expert Hugh Best and Junior Matilda's goalkeeper Miranda Templeman. We will be with you every Saturday morning through to the end of November talking football. Catch the show on live stream or via our new website, listen in later on the podcast or land on our Facebook page and share your football news. The World Football Program on Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM. FM, your local station. 
did very well there, Pete. Didn't even see your lips move during that promo. That was amazing. <laughs> yeah, I've been yeah. practicing my ventriloquism, so yeah, it doesn't no, work quite as well on the radio. That was one know. of my favourites, though. You know, the the Zinedine Zinedine thing there in the background. Um, <laughs> do very well with that. Um, okay, joining us now is our next guest, Phil Kelly. He's going to talk to us about the unfolding situation in Queensland. Um, been a bit of chatter on the interwebs about it. So, uh, good morning, Phil. How are you? Good morning, Sean. Good morning, Pete. Morning. How are you all? Yeah, good. You forgot to say hello, Hugh, because <laughs> then he has to respond. <laughs> Morning, Phil. Thank <laughs> you. Okay. Um, now, during the week, there was this story breaking that was going to be no football in Queensland this weekend, or at least in the Brisbane area. Um, lots of emotive um, postings by people over there and lots of people forming an opinion. Um, what's your take on that situation? Yeah, Alex, it is. Look, it's messy, um, that's for sure. And um, to understand it a bit better, we probably need to jump on the time machine mm-hmm. and um, go back about 20 years ago to 2003. Um, we'd all be aware of the, the Crawford report that was mandated by the federal government in various sports. Yep. Uh, this would um, be the same Crawford report, report that we've not in, imposed <laughs> half of the, the recommendations from? Uh, that's the one, exactly yep. right. But the thing... So, so the interesting part about it, though, is that, and, and this is kind of news to me, and this is why I've taken a bit of a keen interest to what's happening in Queensland, because the, there appears to be inconsistency about our structures throughout the country. So if we cast our, our, our thoughts back to how WA looked um, 20 years ago, we obviously had WASA, PSF, JSA. Um, Echo League. I, I assume, <laughs> the Echo League. I, I assume mentioned that, but I assume um, it was well. There was was there a referees association, or did the referees um, um, report through to those? I'm not 100 percent sure the child's rule. No, no, I'm, we I'm had our own as well. Sure. It was the um, uh, so yeah, was a ASRF, yep, yep, Australian Soccer Referee so Federation. W- so, so here in WA, when the element of the Crawford report, you know, we needed to have these state governing bodies standing committees and bone reps and all that sort of thing. Football, Football West was formed and we all kind of merged into one. So WASA, PSF, Women's Association, um, the referees, the Coaches Association, all merged into the one organisation being Football West. In Queensland, the junior elements and the senior football elements and the referee um, associations merged to create what's called Football Brisbane. And Football Queensland looked after what they've referred to as the elite side of um, what we now know as MPL, uh, might have been the Premier League, um, but there's also, I think it's up to nine divisions within Queensland that are all separate associations other than Football Queensland. So it's quite a complex situation. Now, during the NPL review that took place and part of the WA was taking part of that in 2019-2020. One of the overwhelming desires from you know, the people that matter, right? So this is the participants of the game, the clubs, the people playing football on the weekend, from kids right the way through to seniors. They wanted to have a consistent structure. And that was one of the overwhelming things that came out of their all of football review um, that was taking place. So there's a roadmap. There's actually quite an interesting document. It's quite publicly available if you go look um, on the internet through Football Queensland and that sort of thing. There is actually a very detailed 
document on bringing all of these associations together under the one Football Queensland banner. And there's a roadmap that was created in May 2020 and a roadmap to combine these structures um, at some stage next year. Now, what's occurred this week is there was an AGM um, at Football Queensland. There was a bylaw, which, um, um, and depending on which conspiracy theory you read, um, the bylaw um, effectively removed Football Brisbane from the Constitution, effectively making that particular association irrelevant overnight. Now, remembering this isn't a this isn't uh, an association or an affiliate body, mm. but technically it is. Um, football Brisbane is the women's football in Brisbane or South East Queensland, we should say. Yeah. It's the referees, it's the state league, it's the amateurs, it's the juniors, and they did this everything but the MPL. And they did this mid season, mm. and it's mid season, and I think that has what is what's causing the civil war. Now, had this have occurred in October, November. I think there would have been a, and there's no other term for it, a smooth transition of power. Mm. And that is what this is actually about. And look, reading between the lines, there are two There are two competing factions here. One is Football Queensland and one is Football Brisbane. And there will be many more battles to fight with the other associations that exist in Queensland as well. Um, but this... There is not a smooth transition of power. It's, it's basically a hostile takeover. And as normally happens in these situations politically around the world, the only people that are suffering this weekend are the grassroots footballers who aren't even sure if they've got referees turning up to games or whether or not they have sanctioned matches taking place this weekend. And that's probably the most disappointing thing out of what's happening here in Queensland today. Yeah, so it's, it's quite interesting because, I mean, from a, a state perspective, Queensland has much of the same issues we have um, centralised around Brisbane area and then lots of regionals and, and Cairns is a very strong area for football. Um, but there's there's a tyranny of distance and then um, obviously some governance issues and it's very un-Australian to be um, over-governed, isn't it? Well, I mean, this is the thing. I mean, we don't want uh, the federal government emptying our bins, right? For example, no. um, but I mean, there's and remembering there's a lot of talk in the football world at the moment about having a flat reporting structure and a, and a flat governance structure in the game, and this is the exact reason why we probably do need it. Well, I can remember when Rob Sherman was involved as the um, TD for Australia um, with the FA, that one of the things that he was in favour of was abolishing all of the state um, governing bodies and just having them all report to one central point just to remove that layer of governance and probably save several million dollars in the process. Well, there's a cost saving, there's a consistency saving. I mean, and remember, I'm, it was news to me, I thought that the state and I think most people probably do, that most of the states, maybe a little different in regional areas, but I assume that Football Queensland, Football New South Wales and Football Victoria operated just like Football West do. But it, it turns out that's not quite the case, um, which was news to me when I started looking into what was going on and when I heard noise about these factions forming recently, I started to have a look into it and I was a bit surprised to find that um, it's quite a mess over in Queensland. So... What they're doing now is what we did 20 years ago, and I think everybody can remember how how dark that was. 
um, there was a lot going on. So really, we kind of know how this is going to play out because it happens here. And there will be people that will be happy with it, not happy about it. There will be people declaring that the sky is falling. And look, at the end of the day, um, all that matters is that there's people playing football and people can't do that this weekend. Mm, no, we'll that's probably, that, that, that is the biggest issue. I, I, I should point out, uh, according to 20 hours ago, um, Football Brisbane has announced that all fixtures are still going ahead. Sorry, Football Queensland has announced that the fixtures are going Absolutely. ahead. Absolutely. But so, remembering that the referees yeah. are part of Football Brisbane and many of them are refusing to turn yeah. out. Yep. And and, and it, look, this has been rushed. This is, this, this is probably about eight months premature. Yeah. Um, there's been obviously a change in leadership or a change in philosophy in football Queensland and they've, for whatever reason, decided to do this mid-season. And that is probably the big... I reckon this would have happened without, without too much fuss in October, November. Yeah. And there would have been a quite literally smooth transition and it would have been football Queensland um, coming into the season 2022. And I don't think there'd be half the drama that there is now, but I think... Because it's happening mid-season, um, quite literally, without much notice, if any notice at all, yeah. um, it, that's probably what's causing a lot of the drama. And, and people are resistant to, to change. I think if you had done it in October, you've got five months before the season kicks off. Um, there would have probably been the same amount of drama, but you just spread it out over a longer period with actually no impact on the game. Exactly right, yeah. And, 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 that, and that's probably... Yeah, <laughs> For me, that's the biggest issue. No one here has actually thought this through and thought about the people that matter and who the game really belongs to. And that's, that's the mum and dad, that's the kids, that's the people just wanting to go kick a ball on the weekend. And um, they, they think this is the end of this. You might see a third association come out and say, we just want to play football. And um, that is the noise coming out of Queensland at the moment. Yep. Um, and they're basically saying, football Queensland and football Brisbane, you've lost your chance. Will form an association and affiliate under Football Australia. And, and not dissimilar to the situation we had here, where the Echo League came about because you had some people who just wanted to play football without the governance issues that we had with all the different associations. Um, but that's gone now and it's all been included within our football landscape under Football West. So 20 years on, we're all going, look, this is the norm. Mm. Exactly, yeah. Exactly right. And remembering there, this isn't the only fight for football Queensland. They've, I think they've, um, with what happened this week, there's two. I think it might be Townsville and Football Brisbane um, yep. are the ones that have been abolished this week. I think there's another nine other divisions that they or districts that they refer them refer to them as. This, this needs to happen too as well. And without knowing too much about their governance structures, they all would have had um, at least CEOs running them um, and then their own reporting structures within. Well, and staff as well. So remember, yeah. there's, there's staff sitting in the office of the Football Brisbane, mm. not really knowing what they will be doing either come Monday morning. Um, so there's, a, I mean, so Football Brisbane isn't like a rival. It's not a, it's not a rebel competition. Yeah, it is a fully, fully fledged fully functioning governing body in its own right. Yeah. That that by the stroke of a pen constitutionally has been dissolved. Is this another example of, of why other codes don't worry about us? Um, <laughs> they they don't have to try and destroy us because we're 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 hell bent on suiciding. I've said this publicly, I'll say it again. 
and I've, I've, I've spoken to some very high-ranking officials in other codes, and I've spoken about how football isn't the number one sport at the, at the top end, and we all know where it is in grassroots level. And I've spoken to them openly and honestly, and they said, we don't have to worry about football because you guys cannibalise yourselves. Mm. And this is exactly what we do. We do it too often. We do it all the time. Yeah. And they said, every 20 years or so, you guys, um, you guys, end up cannibalising yourselves and there's, there's proof of it happening right there in Queensland again. Yeah, and I think the significant document that you referred to was the the Crawford report, which was a very um, big review of what went on with football um, and we're still not really fully implemented all of those recommendations. Well, exactly, and one of the main recommendations of the um, Crawford report was, and, and actually this is published as well, so it's published, publicly available now, I think it was published in 20... 20- 16 or 2017. Um, you can actually read that if you've got the time. Um, but one of the one of the recommendations from the Crawford Report was to have an independent uh, national competition. Now, we're only just doing that yeah. now, and we know yeah. how hard that has been. Um, and we certainly know it's one of the things that's dragged the A-League down. The A-League was very successful in its inception, but it's certainly um, dwined in popularity and died a bit of a death in recent years. But we're now implementing this independent national league, and that was one of the main uh, recommendations from the court, along with many, many other things. And they talk about transfer systems and you know, um, you know talent pathways and um, you know, linear structures so that there's not this over governance in the game and different different philosophies and different states and different zones and divisions and. All that stuff there in the Crawford report. If we just actually, the document is still there. We've done all these reviews since. Yeah. Um, everything we need to know is still in this report that was done 20 years ago. Well, and, and Rob Sherman, um, who basically left because of the self-interest and, and nepotism that was in at the, the national level, <laughs> was was promoting a, a very flat structure. Um, yeah across across the nation um you know we, we're seeing how that that is in one state imagine trying to do that across a, a whole nation but that's the interesting part of the crawford report there's obviously a lot of criticism um in 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 soccer and the funny thing is referred to as soccer all the way through the report which is something that doesn't happen now which is i found interesting um but they talk about the nepotism they talk about self-interest as being the primary issues for the game, and if they are not resolved, they will they immediately they will always be a problem. And we all know that's true. Yeah. Mm. We all know that self interest and self self interest. What's happening in Queensland today that's driving that is the self interest of football Queensland and probably the FA, and it's the self interest of football Brisbane. And what people aren't really taking into consideration is whose game it is, and that's the people participating in it. Yeah, without without and, a doubt, and, and 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 that's the problem. And it's all it is all about self interest, unfortunately. Yeah. And um, and the governance structures that we have in place today are they kind of, I guess, facilitate that a little more. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is what it is, right? And we need to we need to accept that and adopt it. But um, I'm certainly. I'm certainly seeing the benefits of a of a more flat flat governance structure. Now, it's interesting. Um, we've talked about the Crawford report referencing a transfer system because that's been 
um, avoided at all costs uh, A-League level. It's detrimental to A-League clubs who develop players, but also then detrimental to um, MPL and State League clubs who develop players. Mm. Uh, completely. And this was, this was about money and the money that was in the game. And obviously we operate in a global market. Now, we couldn't, as a fledgling national competition, we find it very difficult to compete in that international transfer market. Um, but that wasn't the point. The point was about us sharing transfer funds and development funds and that sort of thing. I, think I heard Ori Colley mentioning it before. It's the cornerstone of us becoming sustainable at grassroots level. Um, without it, we don't have an economy. We need to create a, a business structure that sits within football so that we can grow it. And without, it, without that transfer market, unfortunately, we're probably not going to move forward. Mm. But when you look at funding grassroots programs, um, even for a small state league club that develops a player that moves on to the next level, to be recompensed to, you know, a thousand, two thousand dollars for a player moving upwards and onwards, um, with maybe some possibility of um, payments should they progress to the next level beyond, would be a, a great seeding for for a small club. Yeah, absolutely, it would, and. Look, I mean, it would encourage you to develop more players and you'd be able to reinvest those funds so that you'd be able to create the environment and invest in coaches for that to happen. And it is exactly what clubs would do with it. Like, the, there is... I, I don't know a club that wouldn't um, wouldn't use those funds in that manner because there's reward for doing so. Why wouldn't you? But then I suppose also within that, there would need to be... Um, they, these players would need to be at least... Uh, professional registered players, and then uh, the contractual stuff would, would all run around the the transfer system. Uh, absolutely, and, that, and that's you know legitimising um, the registration status of players, um, how they're paid, how they're registered, how their um, re- how their relationships with clubs work would all need to be in place. So we know across the country, right? Even where it's a little better over east, but across the country. Um, we effectively have a black market with respect to the semi-professional, in quotation, um, mm. um, marks players. Yeah, yeah, without, without a doubt. And I think the the legitimisation and the professionalisation of clubs would only be a good thing. And um, any movement flowing through has got to be a help in professionalising a club. Uh, you well, money, have- in the ga- money in the game... Is going to help no matter where it is, as, yeah, long, as, it's, yeah. as long as it's legitimate. If it's coming, if, it, if, it, if it's money that's delivered in a brown paper bag, it's no good to anybody. However, investment and spending on the game, no matter what it is, whether it's on coaches, on players, on infrastructure, that none of that money is wasted. Well, within that, also administrators. You know, we, we talk about clubs that make mistakes with um, registration of players. Um, who then go, oh, you know, I'm, I've got a full-time job and I'm doing this at, at midnight. Um, you know, the, to, to actually have a full-time professional at a club who is actually there running the governance of a club would be a massive step forward in professionalising clubs. Absolutely would. And, and there are clubs, I know UWA does, for, for example, have a, um, I'm not sure if she's full-time, she might be part-time, but, but it is a full-time professional role, Um looking after the administration of, of what is a very, very large club, right? Mm. Um, so it is starting to happen. We're starting to see that. Yeah. And this is why it's so important that 
the governance of our game is is well managed because we can't we can't continue in this manner when we're starting to eat each other and no um, create these factions and that sort of thing. We all really need to be working. But, but you look at other programs. Um, you know, there's. Um Programs up in in the NPL that are producing professional players on a regular basis, who have to sell overseas if they want to make any money. The glory with with their their system, if they sell a, or a player leaves, like we've we've had a couple of players leave recently to go and play over east, we've we've just terminated their contract and allowed them to go for nothing. If the glory were able to then get some transfer system running in the national market. Uh, they wouldn't need to seek players to go overseas. And, you know, I think keeping homegrown players is not a bad thing. That would be the impact on the glory. The glory would sell a player like a, uh, a young player, trying to think of one. Well, Giagano um, Collie, he's, you know, playing... But there's people like, like Maynard Brewer, right? Yeah. The goalkeeper playing in England at the moment. Okay, now, if he was coming through glory, and he probably should have, um, all being well, he's sold to a European club yep. for a good amount of money, right? Yep. Now, first glory, and and even better still, his junior club, which I think was ECU, yep. would be, would benefit from, one, the transfer fee, the training compensation payments, and all that money flows through, not just to the glory, but the ECU. So that's to ECU as well. Now, that means that the glory now have, I don't know, a million dollars to mm-hmm. spend on player wages or investing in other players that are at a level for the A-League. And ECU can spend that money, and maybe that's, I don't know, $50,000 yeah. on on buying or paying for um, better coaches or better infrastructure. And that's, and that's how it should be working, and it's not really working that well for us in Australia. No, and the other thing I've seen recently is players from Australia who are involved in clubs that are delivering that... Um, next pathway or next step to professionalisation, um, they're also being asked within their contracts to remove the compensation payment, which I think is is not a good thing. Yeah, so you do see this a lot, just particularly for players um, of, I guess, dual nationality and that sort of thing. Um, but certainly for Australian players going over... To, and this is when they go to second or third tier competition, so yeah. like Scotland... Or um, Cyprus, for example, or Cyprus. Um, that's another one. Yeah. And these are the ones where I, so I can comment on these because I've actually been, I've actually seen these contracts with players that have gone to these countries. And they do, one of the conditions to sign is to exclude the um, training compensation payments. And these players would not get to go to Cyprus or to Scotland mm-hmm. if they didn't agree to it. And it, it is, it's unfair. It's unfair and it's, it's immoral. One of those things that we we have to put up with, um, yeah. unfortunately, um, in, in in our in our competition. Yeah, that's pretty sad, isn't it? It is. It is. It is. So there's, you know, that's why we need to develop our own. Um, we need to have our own that we all are supportive of um, a transfer system within, or through, I mean, and throughout the pyramid, right? So if an amateur player. Goes to a state league club. Maybe the transfer fee is a hundred dollars. Who cares? It's just it's something that, that triggers the process and it creates an economy in our game. Mm. 
Yeah, uh, look, and it's nickel and dime stuff, I know, but it, it does make a difference because you do have players going from um, particularly the, the Premier First and Second Divisions up into the State League clubs and maybe it will slow down some of that movement and stop people taking players that weren't ready. Yeah, possibly. I mean, there's, there's probably a number of benefits from it um, like that. Like, yeah, I see, I see how it would, it would have that impact as well. Well, we've got to remember that junior clubs and smaller clubs do develop players. So, you know, um, a, a very small club in you know the Southern River area would be able to develop a, a, a kid that went into an NPL program were at least expecting something back for it. And I know it's, it's again, a, a scale of economy, but, you know, a couple of hundred bucks into a junior club um, might pay for the trophies at the end of the season. These These are funds and um, volunteer hours that are not needed to, to raise that money. So it, it's valuable. It, it, exactly right. Exactly right. Could not agree more. All right. Within this Queensland situation, do you see any ramifications for us as a state or you think that the model we have in place is, is secure? And um, well, I think the model, Look, I think for now, 100%, the model we have in place, I, mean, look, we're, I know we're not, we're not all completely happy with it, but thank goodness we went and pulled the band-aid off 20 years ago. Um, mm. I know there's probably, and I mean, there's often talk about referees being separated from Football West and um, potentially the MPL elements of it and that sort of thing. But look, I think for our market, it's good at the moment. Um, I'm, I'm certainly, from my perspective, thinking, I mean, it would never get rid of Football West. You'd always have representative um, elements of Football West that would be here. It's just whether or not the CEO and um, the executive level um, of Football West is sitting in Sydney at the FA. That's really all we're talking about. So your competition managers and um, that sort of thing would always remain as part of Football West. Yeah. Um, but look, I think we're in a much better position than Queensland and perhaps other states um, with our without a structure here, without a doubt. And um, and look, it's not, not particularly broken here. I think we've got some more, I guess, operational issues sitting within the structure of our competitions. But from a from a governance perspective, we need to be better in a few areas that we've already spoken about, you know, professional players and that sort of thing. Um, but I think from... From a competition, we're in pretty good shape here in Western Australia. Yeah, and I think when you look at it, it's yeah the twenty years hasn't been been wasted. Um, Football West has, as an agency, uh, become more adept at running not just the game in the metropolitan area, but also in the regions, and and of late, really expanded their program into the the north of this state and some of the the underrepresented areas. So, you know. It's going to take some time, but I imagine Queensland would be able to do exactly the same. And actually, when you look at the older system, the regions were forgotten about and not managed or supported from the central competition. So, you know, the metro area in in Perth is the major business, but we haven't forgotten the regions. Absolutely not. And we did initially, like, don't get me wrong, we absolutely did initially. But I think Football West has done a great job, particularly more so in the regions, um, in getting out there and bringing in 
you know, that consistent consistency and structure. And I know there's certainly been a few issues in in the Southwest Soccer Association lately, um, and, and much along similar lines. And it's all about who's in control and that sort of thing. But Football West, uh, there's no question everyone's affiliated with Football West in WA. Yeah. Um, whether, whether you're playing in Kununurra or if you're playing in Esperance yeah. or if you're playing in the metro area, you are a Football West affiliated club. There's no ambiguity about that. If it was to all collapse tomorrow, um, a lot of what's happened in Queensland, we wouldn't have the same problems. That's just a fact. Now, you mentioned that the Referees Association and um, whether or not they should fall under Football West. I think, you know, Football West, as as the governing um, head, should possibly be an avenue the referees report to um, because they don't, I don't believe that Football West influenced the referees. So just as a, as a reporting agency and a compliance agency, I think that that's probably the right thing. Um, I don't know what you and, and Hugh's opinion on it is, whether the referees should be entirely separate or whether they should report through the Football West line. Hugh? It's a, it's a, yeah, good question. What's, what's Hugh's thoughts? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was waiting for that bus to stop. <laughs> I was hoping to keep on going. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, obviously, the, for, uh, the referee's body needs to be incorporated within the governance yeah. of, of the whole game. But... In essence, referees uh, should be I- independent, yeah. um, and, and you know, obviously, they need to make decisions based on the overall structure. So, independence probably not, but certainly um, a- a- an arm of the, the overall structure um, to, to be able to make their own decisions. Obviously, you, you couldn't have a central body influencing. Uh, appointments, for example, because mm. then you have the the situation of nepotism or favoritism, or you know, oh, we've got this guy again. What what's happening? You know. So you don't, so you don't think you that on a Friday afternoon, referees department and football are sitting in a room and picking which clubs they're going to pick on this week. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Well, if it, if it, I never noticed it in, in my particular case because, you know, most clubs hated me anyway. So <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't notice any difference whichever club I rocked up to. Yeah. Fair enough. No, I know, I know in jest. But look, I mean, I, I mean, don't think that way. I mean, the thing is, what would be the benefit of having a truly uh, separated entity um, for refer- I, can't, I can't really see the benefit no, no. Um, myself. No. Yeah, and, and, and I, I don't see what value it, it would add to the game. And I think football should already have a level of independence um, it, it itself by its very nature anyway. No, so it's, it's probably it, a, it's, it's appropriate for it to be sitting within that governance structure. No, exactly. <laughs> so when um, when the decision was, was voted upon, uh, whether we remained an independent body, we, the, the referee's body, remained an independent body, or um, go into the Football West structure, it, it was overwhelming that we, we needed to be within the Football West structure. But maintaining a, you know, an obvious and, 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 and very open, uh, uh, you know, independence. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which as I say, I, I, I haven't been that. in that system. That that's the only thing I've I've seen. You know, I, I didn't notice mm. a, apart from a name change, a, any major uh, influence from the governing body. No, it's, that's refreshing no, I, I to hear. Yeah. 
because that's how I see it should work. Yeah. So from a governance structure, there's definitely um, some influence from the governing body and also then with um, prioritising of the, the referees' appointments. Of course. Yeah, so, you, you know, there'll be some pressure on you to get NPL games oh, without covered. Doubt. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the structure that we've spoken about on this show many a time, that uh, it, it's a pyramid system yeah. and, um, unfortunately, numbers of referees aren't at the level where we'd all hope that every game gets an official referee. Well, whatever structure encouraged more referees to be involved, I'd be, I'd be supportive of that. But, I mean, you know, maybe that's the benefit, perhaps, of them being independent. Maybe if it, if it changed that, that would be enough for me. Oh, um, but yeah. That would, be, that would be the only reason I could think of, for whatever reason, if it, if it brought more or referees into the game, then that would be a very, very good reason for it. Yep. There's no argument for me on that one. Yeah. No, look, it's just interesting. I think the, what's going on in Queensland, it gives us a, an opportunity to reflect on what's happening within our own structures and see if we've, we've got any tricks or traps coming up. Yeah, I don't think we've got any tricks or traps. If, if anything, I think they're probably going to point to WA. Yeah. And, and, and probably point to us as a bit of an example of structure working well. Can I just ask you um, one, one question first, Phil? Do you have sure. a speaker there? Because I'm getting some feedback. Do I have a speaker? Yeah. There's, there's a guys doing some edging behind me. No, no, um, this is this is our own voices coming back on us. We're getting a double looping there, so... Oh, okay. Just, no, no. No, okay. I don't know what's causing that then. Um, all right, look, I think we've, we've gone down the, the rabbit's warren as far as we dare with, with what we're, we're talking about. It's just interesting to hear a perspective. So I'm, I'm just guessing from what you're saying that you think the um, Brisbane Association is probably fighting a lost battle um, with Queensland? Oh, I wouldn't say that. Probably, but I don't, I don't think that they have given up yet. I think, unfortunately, there's going to be a little bit more blood spilt in, in Queensland before this is over. And we're, uh, as we were 20 years ago, as litigious, so we got people lawyering up and, you know, get, getting the, the vultures involved? Uh, you know you know that's the case. And look, it's the last place football should be battled is in a courtroom. Yeah. Um, I, think I said it a few times now, the only people that are going to suffer out of this, this uh, power struggle, and that's what it is, nothing else, are uh, the grassroots participants. Yep. And both Football Queensland and Football Brisbane both need to check themselves, and I'll quite happily say that, um, remembering these thoughts, my own independent thoughts, but, yep. um, but they both need to check themselves. Um, they need to remember why, why they exist. They are there for the grassroots participants, nothing more. I would imagine both of them have constitutions that say the, the governance of the game and the, the perpetuation of the game is their, their core principle for being and, and you can't stop the game whilst you're trying to work out who's got the authority over it. So they need to come to some, broker some deal that clubs can still play. Yeah, it's all right. We'll blame that on you, Hugh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Obviously, Phil's, Phil's dropped out, and I'll thank him for his involvement later. But look, there's, there's, there's a lot of things developing in that in that area. Um, and as Phil said, there's there's not any right on either side. Um, I think if you look at it from our 
the governance model we have in this state. Um, you know, people complain about it, but it's pretty stable and it's yeah. pretty good. Oh, there was uh, resistance. To yeah, when yeah. I say that, you know, when it was no, the vote came up, it was an overwhelming majority. There, mm. there was discussion and some very fairly, robust discussion. I was yeah. going to say some fairly robust discussion yeah. from some seriously, um, you know, influential people. Mm. Mm. For and against. Yes. Um, and some but, of those rumblings are still here. Well, that's right. But, yeah. again, having refereed in, in Kalgoorlie, the, the Goldfields Soccer Association, I mean, it, we, there was more than a few issues that we had, uh, as Phil alluded to, between yeah. the Metropolitan uh, body, as it was at that time, Soccer yeah. West Coast or whatever it was called yeah. at that time, and some issues that we had as referees in the Goldfields where they went, well, you deal with it. Mm. It's like, well, no, surely it needs to be you know, the governance of everybody. Yeah. yeah. But, um, again, when, when when the vote came, it was, thank you very much, let, let's get on with it. Yeah. As it, it should be. And, and I think in this state, it's become Python-esque. You know, what has Football West ever done for us, apart yeah. from giving us governance yeah. and structure? <laughs> and <laughs> but again, <laughs> Queensland being the, the state that is, you know, the far north Queensland, don't want to know about what's happening in the Gold Coast, and the Gold Coast don't want yeah. to know what's happening, uh, you know, inland. In Townsville or, yeah. That sort of thing. So, yeah. Oh, but, but, but look... It's no one, no one understands a big state better than WA. Exactly. Um, and I think, you know, the good thing about that was that all partnerships across, and it's taken us a while to get there, but all those partnerships are equal. Yeah. Yes, the, the major players and the, the majority of players are in the Perth and Peel area. Yes. But the Football West focus is now across the entire state. They've That's got right. people working up in, in the Kimberleys and they've got other people yeah. working in Esperance. Game in Narragans, the same as the game yeah, in Kananara, the same as the game down at uh, Carnarvon. So as much as, as we, in, we uh, grumble we, and we all like to rebel against authority, um, <laughs> it, it, it is a good, stable structure and it seems that the situation in Queensland Ooh. is neither good nor stable. No. So it'd be interesting to see, and particularly when we talk about the the legitimise or the lawyerisation of things now where people don't like things. I'm surprised that the FA haven't taken um, Europe to to court over the decision or the final, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's fair. Yeah, but the, where, how far back do you go? You know, I'm, I've got a case that I'm going to start any day against the Vikings, against the Nordic <laughs> countries for, for invading us and, and me having to end up with red hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we'll take a, a, a quick break and I'll see if I can get Greg Farrell on the line. Yeah, the only reason I'm, I'm delaying on Greg is because I know Greg's coaching until 11.30, so ah, I'd, li- I'd rather not, leave it. But we can run through we the run through last week's results, like yes. So uh, last week in the, in the NPL... Um, Perth had a 4-1 away win over Bayswater. Inglewood, uh, 4-2 over Florida Athena. Uh, Gwellup, Croatia, 3-1 over Balcata. Wow. ECU, Joondalup, 2-3, went down to Sorrento. So both of our cup finalists yeah. today had a, a loss in the league. Um, the, big, the big wow result from the from last week was Armadale uh, hosted Rockingham City and Rockingham came away with a 5-0 win there. So <laughs> yes. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> no, and, and that's Armadale coming off the back of, of beating Sorrento yeah. and ECU. So, you yeah. know, they're, yeah. um, they're really strange. But the, the Athena one's interesting because they, they went so long not being beaten and yeah. now they've, they've dropped a couple. Yeah. Um, Which is good. Yeah, oh, no, it's great. It's great for the competition. Yeah. I imagine Perth are, sh- are rubbing their hands oh. in glee because they're, <laughs> they're closing in on them. It looked like it was theirs to lose, and I think... Yeah, well, it's only one point. They're only one point clear now. Yeah, I think the, the Cup has been a distraction. Yep. And uh, Coburn City won all with uh, Perth Glory. 
Uh, and then midweek, we had a catch-up match. Coburn City had a 2-0 win over Balcata. So Coburn's uh, finally climbing up the table a bit to ninth. Yeah. Um, uh, and tomorrow, there is obviously there's a, a cup, cup weekend this weekend. So yeah. as, as a rule, there's no matches. But tomorrow, there is a catch-up match with uh, Rockingham City hosting Gwalup, Croatia. Mm. Uh, so looking at the table there, as we alluded to, uh, Florida Athena still top, uh, but only one point clear of Perth. And then Sorrento in third, they're five points behind. So... Yeah, you know, Florian and Perth sort of um, tussling for it now, you'd yeah. say. And uh, down at the bottom end of the table, despite their win last uh, week, their amazing win, uh, Rockingham City still bottom on seven points and then Belcada on 12 points. And, and a change of coach down there, so that, that may... Well, yeah, that's yeah. traditional, isn't it? You get a new coach <laughs> and, and you have a win, but I, I don't know about a 5-0 win. Yeah, but you can't change your coach every week. Well, you know, if it works... They're desperate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> works All right, so <laughs> Division 1? Uh, Division 1... Uh, Divi one would be good, but those are the um. There's the Divi one results. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I was looking at going, those are all NPL teams. I'm looking at there. All right, uh, Forestfield United had a three nil win over Ashfield, Fremantle one nil away over Joondalup United, UWA Netherlands and Kingsway Olympic nil all draw. Uh, Subiaco went down one nil at home to Western Knights. Swan United had a one nil home win over Mandura City. And Sterling Macedonia against Quinns, first against third, finished six two in favour of Sterling. <sighs> So Sterling definitely looking looking the goods there. They're ten points clear at the top of the table ahead of Western, and, and that was pivotal because Quinns really were the only team I thought could challenge them. But yeah, yeah well, they, I think they've made a statement with that result, yeah. haven't they? Yeah, they certainly have. Well, it'll be up to the Knights now if they're going to if anyone's going to catch them. I think. Yeah, but yeah. Well, ten points is a big margin to make up. Still, it is. We've, we've, as we can see in the NPL. Teams can uh, go on a bit of a choking run as well as a winning run. Check, oh, you know? yeah, absolutely. No, I've seen it happen, and yeah. it really is only the halfway mark. I yeah. think um, also in games tomorrow, I'm pretty sure that Swan are hosting Forestfield in a catch-up. Oh, okay, I, I'm not seeing any catch-up matches listed here. That's not yeah. to say there isn't any. I'm just not seeing them on the on the. No, list. no, so Swan United will be hosting Swan Forestfield. Against, yeah, yeah, there is a Swan against Forestfield yet to be played, so that's, yeah, probably tomorrow then. It is. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll then at the, that. At, the, at the bottom end of the uh, first division table, uh, Swans on eleven points, Ashfields on ten points, and Forestfield are on ten points. So you got three teams, although Forestfield with the game in hand. So um, Forestfield and Ashfield have got to play each other yet. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So there's yeah, there's still plenty to play for. Is it two teams down or one team down? One and a half. So one one, half. one will go down definitely. The other one will be in a playoff against the top. Four tied uh, sides from Divi that's, Two, that's so oh, yes. it, you know, second, third, and fourth from Divi Two Against in a round the, robin, yeah. Um, yeah, and the winner of that goes up. Okay, mm. okay. And down in uh, second division, Kelmscott Roos had their first win of the season, yes. with a one nil win over Curtin Uni, uh, Joondalup City three two over Canning City. Uh, Gosnell City 2-all against Wanneroo City. There's a lot of cities in this league. Mm. Uh, Bel- uh, Belga City versus Morley Windmill City had a 2-0 win. Uh, Karamar Shamrock Rovers uh, hosted Dianella White Eagles. That's another 5-0 win there. Uh, that's to Dianella. And Mum FC had a 2-0 away win over Kingsley Westside. So talking about running away with the league, Dianella White Eagles 12 points clear at the top of the table. Yeah. And as we were saying, the second, third, and fourth going into a playoff for promotion. Currently, that's Kingsley Westside, Wanneroo City, and Mum FC are the top three there. And uh, Dianella coached by Bobby Deskotoski. So, right. and uh, happy birthday, by the way. I think it was his birthday during the it week. It was Bobby's was birthday the other day. Yes, day, yeah. absolutely, it was. So, thank you for that. And. Uh, 
pushing friendship. Now we've got the women's M- WNPL. We do indeed. Look at hey. that. We yeah. came prepared. <laughs> uh, so in the women's uh, WNPL last week, uh, Northern Redbacks had a 2 all draw against uh, Mum FC. Fremantle City had a 2-0 away win over Balcatta. Uh, Subiaco AFC hosted Perth SC. Perth SC winning that one 4-0. And Curtin Uni had a 3-2 uh, win over Hyundai. NTC Hyundai NTC so yeah. uh, Mum FC well Mum FC top of the table there two points clear but also one more game played yeah. over Northern Redback so that one's still very much in the balance mm, and I see the NTC um, had a game I think against Curtin turned because they had a player dual registered with Mum oh really mm, there well, was a bit of talk about that the other day oh okay yeah that's good news where's if you Curtin <laughs> 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 no, just interesting because, you know, the, obviously the NTC run by Football West, you'd think that that wasn't going to happen, but... Yeah. Oh, there's the centralisation that we were talking about with Phil. Yeah. yeah well, it works. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, um, we're going to go to a break and we'll be back after the break with uh, Greg Farrell, who is with Futsal WA, and uh, we'll talk about Futsal WA and the women's final this afternoon. Good one. Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM. Eight one. <laughs> Eight bloody one. Eight one. To bring up. For a team of old age pensioners. The centre forward wears glasses during the match. Eight goals. Four of them from back passes to the goalkeeper. Oh, they were the worst. Oh. Oh. I'm sorry, love. The World Football Program welcomes aboard the West Coast Futsal Association. New seasons at Hollywood and St Mary's Futsal Clubs in Netherlands are starting soon. Competitions across all ages with Saturday Academies for Juniors. Contact Gordon on 0432 745 140 for more information. The first 10 teams to register at Hollywood and who mention the World Football Program get their first match for free. West Coast Futsal, station sponsor. 107.9 FM, your local station. 107.9 FM. See what I did there? I did. Yeah. The Golden Gordon and then Gordon in the in the ad? Yes, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey. Right on it. You, you've got your <laughs> finger on the pulse, mate. And, and I must say that the new ad for Futsal WA um, sounds terrific. Um, good work there by Greg Farrell and the team. And no, joining us, it, and joining <laughs> us now is Greg. <laughs> was that was that the right ad there, Greg, or not? Oh, it sounded wonderful. Um, any promotion is good promotion. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, Greg, how's things going out there in in the wonderful world of futsal? Hello. As good. As We've just had our our um. State school girls and school boys teams training this morning in Subiaco. 
Yep. Uh, it's, I, I would say at the moment, nice skies outside, so they're just finishing having a bit of a stretch outside, and then we've got um, Super League going on tonight with with men's games. Um, busy, busy as always. And I, I imagine with the, the week that's gone um, for everybody else, or the last couple of weeks gone and the, the next week coming, um, waterlogged pitches and, and being rained out isn't a problem for you? No, well, I mean, the well, with the, the severe weather warning and that that sort of stuff does still affect us, obviously. We don't want, don't want people driving in, in dangerous circumstances and that sort of thing. So we did have to call off a couple of our social nights this week, but I guess it's just a, a situation that happens when you live in a country like Australia. Mm. Um, but we did we did still get a few nights of our, our social competitions, and, and obviously the the weather's gotten a little bit better now, so the the elite stuff can happen. And um, fingers crossed that it starts to warm up a little bit as well. So it's nicer outside, and we can all spend some time outside as well. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, you don't have the, the problem of a heavy pitch that's waterlogged and everything else. So, um, you know... It, it's, it's certainly much less of an issue. And even even with our, our AstroTurf futsal court um, in Mount Lawley in Netherlands, they do dry off nice and quickly. So it, it's much less of a problem. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the thing is with AstroTurf, and, and people don't realise it until they get it, is it does still need a fair bit of water on it to make it really playable because it's not nice stuff to play on dry. When it, yeah, when it, when it is 100% dry, it it is um, it can get a little bit abrasive when you when you land in the wrong way. But yeah. um, it, it, it's always it's always always a nice thing to know that you've got the, the all weather surfaces to play on. Yeah, well, I'm an Essex boy, and our all weather surface was called Ashfelt, and we got used to it. it was <laughs> man up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, bitumen, bitumen and concrete weren't weren't yeah. a problem when we were kids. Yeah. No, it was good. When I was playing on the uh, AstroTurf up in Kalgoorlie, they used to put sand on it, so abrasive on abrasive. It was fantastic. <laughs> Some scars for you to see there. I guess it depends on yeah. which sand they're putting down, doesn't it? Yeah. That's so, right. um, as far as your competitions go, is there room for people who who still want to play? Is there a, a casual comps and you know? walking comps or is it just yeah we well we we're always looking for more for more social teams at the moment we've got about 115 120 teams between mount lawley and nedlands but we can still still fit in probably another 30 or 40 more teams especially as we move towards the summer um we open up extra time slots later in the evening um and and obviously with the the elite competitions when there are more outdoor players happy to play Friday night, Saturday. Yeah. Um, either once the outdoor commitments have finished, or or once it's getting towards the tail end of the season, um, you get you get more of that influx. But we're we're always looking for more teams. Um, we have the the international only international futsal court in WA in the Superliga, and we have multiple social venues with Mount Lawley and Netherlands with mixed men's, women's and, and junior competitions mm. in, in, in those two venues as well. Very good. Now, the COVID situation over East, how's that affecting your um, state league teams and you know, is there going to be any travel? Um, at, at, at the moment, we're, we're keeping an eye on everything. Um, we're going to Brisbane in September, at the end of September, with, with six of our school boys and girls teams. So, it, it's more of a, a fingers crossed, I guess, situation that we just have to make sure that we're aware of all of the possibilities. 
Um, we had some players over here from the East Coast when we had the last lockdown a few weeks ago. Um, but that was a, an educational experience. Just seeing how the airlines deal with with that sort of situation. Um, but everyone is becoming a lot more COVID aware yeah. with the way things work. So I'm hopeful that the situation that we're seeing in Sydney is a bit of a one-off where there's there's been some unfortunate circumstances and maybe some idiotic behaviour, but it it shouldn't hopefully be a situation that we're faced with again if no. fingers crossed that there's more of a rollout with vaccines and that sort of thing too. And I think also you, you look at what our response is. We, we've had a hard lockdown um, put in fairly quickly. Uh, New South Wales were, were reticent to do so, had a soft lockdown, and then they've had plenty of problems emanating from that. And I think, you know, um, you're not the only person in WA who's got better at managing a lockdown. I think um, McGowan does a good job in, in that area. And, and I know he's still responsible for your addiction to the hand wash, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and, he, and he certainly... He, he, no one can say that he hasn't been proactive. No. He, he's, been, he's been excellent with being proactive and, yeah. and keeping everybody informed. And I guess he sort of set the stall pretty early and pretty hard, saying that we will... If there are situations, we will be extremely, extremely tough on it. Yeah. But ev- everyone knows what to expect, and hopefully, at least partly because of that, we have been very, very minorly affected by it. Yeah. Now, your trip to Queensland in December or whatever it was, you... Um, September, yeah. September, yeah. Um, is that affected by this political situation going on at the moment between Football Queensland and Football Brisbane, or is are you able to navigate around that <laughs> no we, we won't be affected by that i ha, having been a, a a brisbane uh born and bred person i have seen the issues that have occurred in queensland from the very start so the, the zone system as it is set up there was much better run in the 90s and probably the early 2000s before football queensland tried to set up the football brisbane um, zone. It used to be Brisbane North and Brisbane South, and then there was the the Gold Coast, the Sunshine Coast, Central Queensland, North Queensland, Far North Queensland, and everything ran fairly smoothly. And then they tried to set up Football Brisbane as a I don't know a a way of reducing their workload. Um, and I, I think there were some people who were involved in the startup of Football Brisbane who were trying to do it not as a breakaway, but as a, uh, I don't know, I guess a way of having a little bit of, a little bit more autonomy, um, and yeah, it's, power. Yeah, it's all down it, to the power. It, 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 well, yeah, a little bit yeah. of power. It has. It's certainly not been the smoothest way of doing things, and there has always, in the last ten years, been issues between the the divisions and the the setup. But uh, as you say, the the problem is power and, and specific people wanting more and and wanting to have their voice heard when they maybe haven't earned it Um, and and other people having their voice heard when they haven't. Yeah. So um, I think if the federal, what is it, Football Australia now, if they they can push on with their intention to um, reduce the middle management numbers in the state federation, Mm-hmm. and reduce the bureaucracy that slows everything down and chews up money, 
then I think everyone's going to be better off and there's no better an example than what's going on in Queensland. No, exactly. Well, as long as it doesn't affect the futsal, then we're all happy. Um, this afternoon there is a, uh, a, a game going on that I imagine you'd be disappointed your club aren't involved in, but it looks like a, a really good um, Women's Cup final this afternoon. Yeah, I, I am looking forward to it between Melville and Balcatta. Um, I've got, well, there's, there's a, quite a few football players involved in the game, so I have got players at both clubs who I have coached in the past, and so I'll, I'll more so be, be cheering on individuals than a specific team. Hmm. Um, but uh, after the the cup, the ninth series cup final, I, I think both of them are, are terrific footballing groups and with Tim Cash new at Balcatta and uh, Mark Jones taking Melville I think there's lots of potential for it to be a really good game hopefully hopefully it's a tight contest and maybe both of them use a little bit more energy so that next week in whatever league games they've got they drop (laughs) drop points and and Redbacks can push on a little bit yeah so um, who are the players to watch out for on both sides Oh, well, you've got people like Kat Yukic, yep. Mariana yep. Bain, yep. um Ellie Lamont for for Melville, um then for, for Balcatta, um you've got well, Cass Harvey was brilliant in that night series cup final. Um and they they've lost a couple of players to injury recently, but you've got Christian Astor, Everyone Ascent, Chelsea Winchcombe, Kim McCartney, like um the the Melville girls have also got some like awesome overlapping fullbacks and young players like Poppy Hooks and yeah. Talia Organ. So, I mean, you, you're going to watch that game and, and enjoy it no matter what's going on. Yeah, look, a, a great game for the neutral. And as you said, if you've got a vested interest in, in the outcome, you, you'd be hoping for a, a very exhausting final with maybe even, with maybe <laughs> yeah. even a brawl thrown in. You know? Penalties, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a brawl thrown in, a couple of red cards, you know, that sort of thing. Well, I mean, I, I would never wish that on anybody, <laughs> but <laughs> certainly the, the extra time and penalty shootout, I would, I would more than happily <laughs> Yeah, I know. Look at, and it's all it's all about the Redbacks, really. But I mean, in the league, you're doing very well, um, and really, it's um, it's a tight race. And I think you know, people have were doubtful about the WNPL, um, and maybe the first season wasn't the best. But it seems to be evening out, and the and the the league seems to be be strengthening. Oh yeah, it was it was always gonna. I mean, it should have happened six or seven years ago. Yeah. Football yeah. West yeah. dallied, and, and I know that there were people holding it back for their own personal whatevers, but it, it should have happened then because you're always going to have two or three years of, of teasing and people finding their feet, clubs working things out. It's also the reason it's good that there's no promotion and relegation at the moment mm. because it's never it's never simple just to, to get all that stuff started. No. Um, so... Everyone's doing that now, though, and hopefully, very soon, we'll start to get some of the state league clubs. Like the Southwest Phoenix, I think, uh, are an exceptional team. It's probably a pity that they they lose players every year who move up to Perth because of university and whatever. And work else. and what have you? Yes, yeah, that's always been a problem for for teams in the regions. Yeah, um, but 
it would be great at some point if we have a, a strong group from there who are able to play in the NPL. Yeah, look, and, and when you go through Country Week, there's other areas. The, the Albany area is quite strong. Yep. Um, be be lovely to have an Albany away trip. Yeah, you're not too keen on an Albany away trip then? <laughs> Sorry, what was that? I broke up <laughs> so, a little bit. No, this, uh, we talked about the Southwest, but Albany have a very strong competition and it'd be nice to see a, a, a competitive side coming up from there and, and we'd give you a wonderful away trip to Albany. Yeah, well, and that's like... In in Queensland, the the NPL over there is a whole Queensland league. So yeah. teams get to go up to Cairns, um, up to Central Queensland, more so in the men's, and it's a mm. a situation that I think does need to be rectified there as well. That mm. they need to make it they need to make it statewide in the women's, and it would be awesome to have have groups from I don't know Kalgoorlie, Geraldton, whatever it is. I think it's still a long way away, but yeah. If they're planning and working on it now, then hopefully in the future, yeah. some of the kids that we've got who have to come down to Perth to play at that level won't need to. But it's good that people are investing in the league. I know Perth um, started up a team amongst, uh, amidst some controversy, but um, they haven't stolen all the good players from everybody. They're, they're working um, through now developing a, a serious women's program. And, you know, with with the, the, the power of... of Perth SC behind them, they, they're going to become a power, and I think that's not a bad thing. You've got um, Subi who are struggling at the moment, but Subi have been a very strong yep. um, developer of, of girls and women over the last few years, and I, I'm sure that situation with them won't stay. No, well, and as with, as with everything, there's always some groups, especially newer um, groups that, that need assistance, so I, I think there are situations that can be manipulated like the player point system that could assist the teams that are newer to that level um i don't know if it's in the first two years new clubs that come up um have higher points allowances that sort of thing uh, i think that is probably another situation where football west have missed the trick by not introducing that player point system because that would have helped with leveling off giving clubs like subiaco and curtain who were new to the level a little bit of assistance by spreading out the talent even further. Um, yeah. And that, that was one of the suggestions from the Women's Standing Committee and it was in the initial uh, documentation to be implemented this season and they haven't done it. Yep. Fingers crossed they get it right for next season. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, any any investment in, in the women's game and obviously the development of, of girls through to that level is good. And when you see teams like Perth taking interest, um, you know, Balcatta yourselves have always been um, immersed in that world, but it's nice to see newer clubs bringing in a, a whole development system because obviously the more girls we have playing the game... Um, the more elite players we will discover. And then, you know, somewhere in amongst that will be the, the next Hannah Lowry or Sam Kerr. And, and hopefully we're making an impact, not just in our local game, but also nationally and internationally. Yeah, well, and, and there's a lot of lot of young girls that play at clubs like Perth Soccer Club yeah. that haven't in the past had a pathway beyond being able to play in a junior boys NPL team yeah. who, who now can swap from the boys into the girls and have that pathway all the way up yep. to senior level. And then, obviously, there's the NTC and Glory, but they have the diverging pathways depending on how quickly they progress. And that is progression. That is 
a benefit to the game and that sort of thing needs to continue and, and be be promoted and, and I guess, be encouraged. Mm. Now, I suppose the other thing uh, on a, a governance and, and um, club side, um, do you see that being coupled to an MPL state league entity is, is A, viable and worthwhile? And when you look at what Redbacks do in particular, um, very, very much specialists in the development of young girls how does that then meld when you walk, walk into an or um, have an association with another club who is primarily driven by the male game yeah well I, I don't think it should be a necessity but I think it, it definitely does provide uh, opportunities the the problem is whether or not the the men's the men's club or the club that has previously been male, oriented, whether or not their intentions are actually to help develop the women's game and to help develop the girls, or if their intention is to try and just get funding yeah. by having female players at the club, mm. using that as a, hey, look, we have women, we have girls, give us state government and local council funding, yeah. or if their intention is to actually properly help the women's game. Because I- I've seen it multiple times here and back home where clubs put their hand up and it's just to to try and gain funding for change rooms and funding for other things yeah it has to be has to be treated equally and and made a priority which unfortunately it hasn't been in the past And and i think also within that that's that's not a bad thing that you're attracting more investment in those facilities but and particularly in a case like the Redbacks, if you were to join um, forces with another club, MPL or stateside, um, the ladies' team has to be given the same status as the men's side. So you're not second-class citizens. They are equally as important and get all of the rights and benefits that that first team have. And same with the facilities. I mean, yeah. The amount of times you go to, to well, and I won't mention any names, no. but, but the majority of, uh, of um, clubs do not have dedicated female changing facilities. Yeah. I mean, you can't have... Well, and, and so, even, like, you've got Perth Soccer Club. They don't have dedicated female no. change rooms, but they have enough change rooms yes. that mm. the men can be in those two and the women can be in those two, and it works out fine. They dedicate an area to each. Mm. But it's the clubs that don't have that, yep. which is what we need to get help from the governing body, from the state government, from yeah. local councils to... Correct. Do you do you feel that's uh, a, an adequate solution? Like, I, you know, I'm not trying to to highlight any particular club, but you did mention Perth. Do you feel that's an adequate solution to have male and female change rooms in in that sort of close proximity? Um, I mean, it's as long as there is a private space. Yeah, I, I would suggest that it's it's better than most other situations. Yes. I mean, in an ideal world, mm. the women's first team would have this change room, the women's 23s, that one. Yeah. The men's first team, the men's MPL 20s, they'd all have their own change room, but it's probably not feasible yeah. in the short term, especially. Uh, um, and when you look at the, the infrastructure around the, the state, with the exception of probably places like Rockingham, um, yeah. all of it has been built in the, the 70s and 80s where, where women playing football wasn't even considered, even though they were. Um, and, no, I know, and, and, and that's a, that is another big thing, yeah. is that we've come a long way very quickly yeah. and, and clubs are doing their best to keep up. Mm. But like you said, it has to be 
that the the girls and the women's teams are not seen as second class citizens. Yeah. They are made a priority. And and the other thing is that there's they've got to be unisex change rooms. I mean, you yeah. you have to have the ability to put either gender in there, and and simple things like you know a wall full of urinals that has to come out. You know. Um, and and you, you've got to have proper to to, proper toileting facilities. It's, it's unrealistic to have a team of women sharing one pan. So it's so simple logistics. But then also there's other considerations, and I know from my own club and, and certainly others, that when you open up the, the, the change room door, you get a view straight in. Yeah. And that that's not appropriate for young ladies either. No, well, and yeah, I... We can have this conversation. All yeah, time. I know, I know. But, 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 yeah, but, Let's have it again. But, but it's, a, it's, actually, it's about equality, making, equity. I'm just making a list. Yeah, I'm making a list in my head of all of the different things. Yeah. that like you've got having doors on toilets, having yeah. doors on showers, yeah, having screens across. Mm-hmm. Like the in a men's club is probably not something that historically mattered. But no. in, in a women's is is extremely important. But um, but also, I mean, we were talking to Daniel Sharifi earlier from the Edmund Rice Centre about um, some of the refugees that have come in. Now, some of these refugees who've, who've been through some horrific stuff in, in camps would also appreciate a door on the toilet and, and the things that you talk about. It's not about um, men or women. It's talking about decency for all people whatever gender you are and whatever background you come from it you know it's something we got used to um you know back in the day all showering under one shower head or in one bath uh, and it's it's not right now and we we've got to then invest in in what is right and decent for everybody yeah and that we have to show that we are progressing it's not the 70s or the 80s anymore and the way people think the way people talk is, is much different and I don't think the funding in Australian sport has kept up. No, it hasn't. The pro- the progress that society has made, but I guess that's on us to try and get it there. All right, Greg, now we are running out of time, and I know we digressed a little bit, but um, just going back to the women's final, um, who's your tip to win? Uh, uh, I am awful at tipping. <laughs> Great, that, that's even I better. Give me a, Give me a name. <laughs> I, I thought England was going to win the Euros. Me too. So <laughs> yeah. Let, let, let's say Melville's going to win 3-2 with Kat Jukic to score twice. I Excellent. Thought it, I thought it was going to pens. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, um, great to have you on, Greg. Great to hear that football's going so well. Um, thank you for sponsoring the, the show and for what you do in football in general. And we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you very much, guys. Have a great weekend. You Enjoy too, buddy. All right, Greg Cheers. Farrell from West Coast Futsal there with his thoughts on the final and uh, women's football in general. And he's very passionate about the game, which is a great thing. All right, we're coming to the end of the show. Um, Hugh can stop sweating wow. now. And <laughs> Thank you, Hugh, for what you've done today. Okay, um, I'll be back next weekend or next Saturday. So... Um, oh. Be behind the desk again, if that's okay with you. Yeah, that's cool with me, mate. All right, no worries. Thank you for listening. Um, Lenny and the Jazz Show are on after our outro, so thank you for listening. Good on you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Have a good afternoon and get yourself down to the cup final. Join us again next week at the same time for the World Football Programme on Radio Fremantle 107.9 FM.
Thank you.